0: I'm Christine Heath, a marriage and family therapist living in Hawaii, and I'm here this morning, or I guess it's afternoon for you, uh, with my, my, my uh, good friend and uh, partner in crime. <laughs> Judy Sedgman, and I'm a psychologist,
1: and I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and both of us are in a heat wave, <laughs> so, um, and uh, we're delighted to have you with us and looking forward to today's topic.
0: Yeah, you know, we thought we'd talk a little bit about today about um, uh, what people are calling the mental health crisis. Um, And one of the things that we thought we'd talk about is because there's so many people talking about mass shooters and, you know, people raping nine-year-olds and like, well, well, isn't that a mental health issue? Isn't that, meant? you know, it's like people are, saying, well, that's the mental health problem that's causing them to do that. And um, so we wanted to talk a little bit about how that looks to us and how psychology has kind of us looking in the wrong direction as to how to help people with that. Because um, otherwise it's, it looks like it's this bizarre thing that would happen. It is bizarre, you know, that people are able to, to do things that are so horrendous. Um, and to us, it really is points to the power of thought, and when we don't understand how thought works, how we can get tricked by our own thinking into doing something that kind of goes against our very nature, and that's the 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 most important thing that we'd like to get across. Because if you look at what people do and why they do it, it's very you know intellectually interesting. You can get into really Um, you know, thinking about it a lot and go through like everything that ever happened. And and sometimes what people think is they, let's focus on the mental health issue, which I I mean, honestly, it's a good idea that we focus on people's mental health. But it's like, sometimes what happens is, is people start to think that everybody that has mental health problems then end up doing bizarre things, which is not true. There's another factor, isn't there? Is that people um, who get depressed or they get isolated, they they don't all end up going out and shooting a bunch of people because of it. But you can you can see whether it's the Unabomber, and uh, for those of you that aren't as old as I am, it's a this guy that kind of lived out in a um, uh, in Idaho, I think, and lived by himself in the woods and then constructed these bombs and sent them in the mail to people around the country and uh, terrified people with that. For years. For years yeah and and so people do things that are awful and that still doesn't mean that they're broken damaged or in any other way spiritually different from the rest of us. But it definitely does mean that their thinking is different than the rest of us, and they're, they have no clue that their thinking could be wrong. And so they're acting on their thinking in a way that is very destructive. One of the things that I do is I work with men who are violent, either with their family members or parents, usually the young men that get violent with their parents or um, their wives or their girlfriends or sometimes their children and it seems like an awful thing like how could a person do that to someone that they love well to us that just really shows the power of thought and consciousness consciousness is what takes your thoughts and make them seem like good ideas which of course is why we all think we're right Right. And so and so when somebody starts thinking in a really low mood, in a bad state of mind, the thinking that we have matches that state of mind. And so we get a thought in our head. And if you're in that really negative place, the negative thoughts start to seem like they have some uh, credibility, like you should be paying attention to them, that they've got something to say or they're accurate and when we don't understand that that's just the nature of consciousness and thought consciousness doesn't care what you think you think you know i'm uh, six feet tall and you're five foot five uh it still looks real to you right you still think you're tall then that's that's the deal is that uh whatever we think will look right to us so once we start catching on to that We start to see that a lot of what we think is kind of garbage, so we don't pay attention to it, right? So to whatever degree you catch on to that, you let those kind of crazy thoughts go. You know, like you could think like, um, uh, you know, 10 points if I run this person over. Now... I mean, I've had those thoughts in my head. No, I don't act on them. In fact, they, they're like, whoa, where did that come from? Who, who's who's thinking in my head, right? So I, you know, grab the steering wheel and say, focus. Now, I have yeah. to admit, I haven't had those thoughts for a while but, um But, you know, it's like some, my sister can't go on the top of a high building because if she looks over, she thinks she's going to jump. And so she moves away from the edge, and, and that mm-hmm. thought looks real to her, right? So – Everybody has experiences of having these kind of wild thoughts that come through your head and and recognizing that they're just thoughts and you don't like check yourself in because you're, you had a homicidal thought or because you had a suicidal thought. You recognize that that thought's really wacky and you don't pay attention to it. You let it go, focus back in the moment, and you're grateful that you can be in charge of yourself. But when people don't see that, those thoughts come in their head and they start looking like good ideas. And then they might go online and see other people that think that too. And then it gets really reinforced to the person like, oh, maybe this isn't such a wacko idea. Maybe this is a good idea. And so as they start to uh, formulate their ideas of what of their life and how they're being treated, and how the world looks to them, it's done in such a way that, that the negativity of their state of mind looks real, mm-hmm. and then they act on it. And then they act on it, that's right. I had a uh, was
1: asked to speak to a colleague's son one time who was, um, I, I believe he was 16 or 17 years old, he was in high school and one of his best friends had been in a uh, had been riding his bicycle at night and didn't have enough lights on his bicycle and he was hit by a car and and the car ran over the bicycle and him and drove on and then you know, they found they found the person you know so that it, and the justice was done for the family but this kid could not unfortunately the kid um it just couldn't get over thinking about his, his friend's crushed form, you know, not to get graphic, but he was very, very, I was just so uh, affected by that. And he wanted to, he had these thoughts of revenge on the person that ran over his friend and then tried to get away. But, you know, somebody saw him, got the license. So, um, and he just he want he he fantasized about what the the terrible torturous things he would do to that person to the point where it was he was obsessed with it and his parents noticed they they didn't know what he was obsessing about but they noticed that he stopped hanging out with his friends and he was sitting in his room for hours at a time and and they decided he needed to talk to somebody and so he he said i can't, I, I don't know what to do because i i know it's not right to think this all the time. I can't spend the rest of my life trying to track this guy down so I can torture him and then end up spending my life in jail. So, you know, that was common sense talking to a person in broad daylight. But he said in the middle of the night, I actually have a couple of times gotten out of bed and had the thought, all right, I'm going to go now. I know where he lives. And I didn't do it, but I could have done it. And I feel like someday I might do it. And I'm scared, which I thought was an incredibly honest, self-evaluation. But nonetheless, he also he knew enough to know that even though he could talk to me kind of logically about, yeah, I, I could do it, I'm not doing it, that it could happen, you know, that it could he could get so carried away at, at some point that he would do it before he could stop himself. And um and he was really terrified, plus he said, you know, I, I my life has just gone to I, I have no life. It's all I think about. And um, now, it, I remember because it was pretty, it was kind of early on in my uh, working with the principals and I was, my first thought was to send him to somebody better than me, you know, but he seemed to trust me and I thought, you know, that's not right because that'll just reinforce him thinking that he's a special case of terror and, I, you know, I don't want to discourage him because, you know, his mother, you know, highly recommended that he talk to me and now we're talking and. He trusts me, so I thought, I'm just going to have to hang in there and calm myself down so I can talk to him. But what he thought was that once something terrible like that happens in your life, you can't get over it. You know, once you've had a thought like that, and it doesn't matter whether it's attached to an external event or not. I mean, there are people that have fantasy thoughts, too, you know, from reading books or seeing movies or just fantasy thoughts that they have. But there, people have the idea that thoughts are, are, are kind of an inevitability and that once they have them, they're stuck with them and they're, they got to deal with them. And he says, I don't know how to fight. I don't know how to get these thoughts out of my mind. And he was just like holding his head and saying, you know, they're always there. They're always there. Or like they were things, you know, you, you sort of pictured a worm farm in his brain you know, with all these disgusting worm thoughts crawling around. And when I explained to him how thought worked, he was he said, "Oh, that, that just can't be." He said, "You know, because my mom and dad, you know they've been trying so hard to go back through my childhood and what books did I read and what movies did I see and you know and and they were trying to help him the way that we the traditional psychology tells us, you know, go through your past and find the trigger event and all that." And I said, well, you know what the trigger event is. Your friend got run over. And up until that point, I said, did you ever have thoughts like this before your friend got over, run over? He said, no. He said, I was kind of a happy kid, (laughs) but he was my best friend. And I said, well, you just have to understand that when you have a thought that that frightens you, really, really scares you. And it's very vivid because you can imagine what that was like. You know, you ride your bike too, and you can imagine. You can live in your friend's experience. And when you keep doing that over and over again, you're making it increasingly vivid every time you do it. And then it looks like uh, the thought is coming at you from the outside world because it's so vivid when your consciousness brings it to life. And you got to realize that it's you and that the thought belongs to you. And that thought, you'll probably remember it for the rest of your life. I doubt you're going to forget what happened. But over time, it'll lose any power that you give it now because you'll stop giving it power. And, you know, I talked to him for a while and I think, you know, when he started, I think, I forget now what book he read. I think, I think it was years ago when we only, we only had second chance, but um, you know, he kind of got involved in, in looking at um, the Sid Banks book and then talking to us. And then I think I had, I had brought him to a group that um, somebody was doing and it finally he settled down, and his mother still to this day is grateful. I mean, sometimes I get Christmas cards from her. He's a grown man now with a family of his own, but um, because she said, "I don't know how he got you got him through it." Well, I didn't get him through it. His wisdom got it, him through it, but that's the missing piece.
0: Yeah, you know, it's there was uh, on the news recently. Um, of course, we live in the United States, which is has its own issues with guns right now. But um, there was a man who was very upset about a recent Supreme Court case. And he lived in Texas, I believe. And as he was there, he was thinking about how somebody had to do something about the Supreme Court and was got very upset about what was happening. and. Uh, went to Washington or Maryland, I guess, where the Supreme Court justice lived and had on him tools to break into the house, guns, knives. He was absolutely ready to kill this um, Supreme Court justice. And he he was about a block away from the house and he called 911 and turned himself in. He said, I'm having homicidal thoughts and something's wrong with me. I need help. And they came and got him. So it, you know, to me, it was it, it's not a great story that he was trying to kill somebody, but it was a great story about the power of our innate health mm-hmm. as well as the power of thought, that you can think yourself into doing things that you get your ego behind and then something at some point in time, he stopped thinking about it. His mind must have quieted down, and then all of a sudden he went, "Oh dear, what am I doing? Uh, I'm I'm going to do something really stupid here." And that's kind of when pe- when that happens, people will avert it. I think there, there's another story about a, a school shooter who is in prison now, and and he's um, I think was it you that told me, Judy, this story. Yeah. Yeah, you tell the story. Yeah, well, he was, I think, fifteen
1: when he uh, shot uh, several people in his school. He and he ended up his, his shooting the assistant principal, who was, became a paraplegic as a result of the shooting, and he killed a couple of teachers and wounded some students and and um, so he was sent, he tried as an adult and sent to prison for life, no parole. And so he's like, you know. 16 years old and Diane Sawyer was interviewing him back then when she had that show called Primetime. She was interviewing kids who had uh, killed people and got tried as adults. And he was the last person that she interviewed. And honestly, he was the cutest little boy. He would look like he was 12. You know, he was 17 at the time, but he had a shock of blonde hair and freckles on his nose. And he was, you know, you would never see him as a killer. And, uh... And she's talking to him, and they had this little interview about his life and what he did in prison and everything. And finally, the last question she asked him was, you know, you're you're going to be in prison for years and years and years. And you've already been here almost three years. And, and what do you think about every day? And he said, to tell you the truth, Miss Sawyer, he said, every day, this comes back to me. I can remember being at my grandmother's house for lunch and being very angry and having to go back to school for the afternoon. And I went to get my coat and I saw my grandfather's gun on the top shelf in the closet. And I took it down and put it in my parkup pocket. They lived in North Dakota or something, put it in his parkup pocket. And I had my hand on the cold steel gun. And I'm walking up the walk to school and some voice in my head kept saying, you know, this is really a bad idea. You don't have to do this. I you don't it's not it's not gonna work out. And he said, I kept hearing that, and I was so mad, and I was so angry at my school and the kids and things that had happened to me that I just kept telling that voice to shut up. And I went in and did it anyway. And he said, for the rest of my life, I'm going to ask myself, who was that, and why didn't I listen to it? Yeah. Yeah. The guy you talked when it did listen to it,
0: yeah, yeah, right. Luckily, he did listen to it. But I think that's kind of what happens. I mean, it happens to all of us, right? It's like you're going to say something, tell somebody off, and in your head, you get this yeah. thought that says, "Don't say that." And then, then your little ego thoughts come in and go, "No, you have a right to say this." Right? And then you say it, and then it goes really badly, and you think, "Oh no, I shouldn't have said that. I can't believe that." <laughs> I knew I shouldn't have done that, right? And that, that's just kind of um, because we're not really taught to listen to our wisdom. We're just taught to think about it, think about it, think about it. And so the more we think about it, the more whatever we're thinking about looks like it's true and right and is worthwhile, needs attention, right? But it's just our own personal memories being constructed in a way that creates whatever mood we're in, in a sense, You know, it's like the thinking that comes out of that state of mind is what's going to look like a good idea to you. So, like, sometimes I'll even do that when I write an email and I'm, in fact, last night I got upset about one of my staff people because he was supposed to do something I wanted him to do with a client and and he didn't do what I thought he was going to do. And and then I had a reaction about it, you know, and I thought, ah, and I thought, Chris relax what can you do because i thought i can't do anything and now I, this kid needs help what am i going to do and i thought relax oh oh yeah i got another psychologist so i call him up hey stan can you see this guy yeah yeah i can see him five. Oh, okay great thanks i actually wanted to see him anyway that's great you know and so it, it was just that moment of crazy thinking like how could you yeah. you know that comes in in your head and We all have those experiences in life. It's just that when you're living in that thinking, you're sitting. Like a lot of these people that do like the school shootings and the mass shootings, they're like sitting at home thinking, right? They're sitting at home thinking and they're, yeah, they're very isolated. And, you know, I think that's one of the ways that like as human beings that we've survived is that we've become social which means we have to deal with other people and recognize that everything we think isn't a good idea. We've got to listen to each other. We've got to interact with each other. We've got to be open. we got to recognize that just because we think it doesn't mean it's true. And then we have to pay attention to
1: understanding that the state of mind we're in while we're thinking it is the clue we have as to whether we should question whether it's true or not. Right, And, you know, I think it's a wonderful thing because there are a lot of people now in the work that we do that are teaching this in schools, in middle schools and high schools. And so many of the people that commit these crimes are, you know, as they keep being writing, writing about them in the newspaper, angry young men. And that's true for the most part for some of the shooters are usually fairly young men and they're usually angry because if they weren't, they wouldn't do that. Well, and they always try to go back and blame, you know, their circumstances, poverty, lack of education, bad family, poor parenting, you know, t- terrible experiences in life. But, you know, there's millions of people in the world that have bad families and terrible experiences in poverty that are very kind and gentle, nice people. So you can't, if the circumstances had that much power, we'd all be dead, to tell you the truth, <laughs> the state that the world is in. Right. But what it is, is that it's not that. It's that. That contributes to the fact that they don't know where to go to talk to someone to find a friend. That's true. But the fact is, without any understanding of their thought, if they, if they brood and brood and brood over increasingly negative, disturbing, bizarre, upsetting thoughts, pretty soon that becomes their world. And then nothing looks too strange to do and what whatever they ultimately do is is the last desperate attempt to get relief from the pressure of all that negative thinking they think well if i if i do this then i'll i'll be all right and of course they won't but you know they don't know that but honestly it's as simple to me as if if a young person really understands truly deep down understands that they're the thinker and they're creating this experience and that they're When they get that upset, they have to be able to take a break and step back, take a deep breath, and give themselves a chance to think again and maybe go out, walk around a little bit or something. They understood that a lot of these people would get over it rather than acting on it, and people wouldn't even know they
0: thought it. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right, and, you know, it's, um, it's, it's so funny because like the men that I work with in my groups are are have done some pretty horrendous things to the people that they love. And that seems so odd for people. But when you're in that state of mind, your your the thoughts feel so powerful and it feels like you need to act on them. So just a little bit of understanding, you know, as I can see as the group has gone on, as the guys quiet down in their mind and they're starting to live in a better feeling, they just don't get into hassles with people. You know, like most of them, that, like you know, the first couple of weeks, there was like somebody, everybody had somebody bothering them all week. And <laughs> I gave them an assignment and a couple of them came back and said, you know, I had a chill week. I didn't get upset about anything. I didn't, you know, it was nothing that happened. And it, that's kind of a miracle really that in in their world, because they. It it all looks like the outside is creating their experience. And the lower you go in your state of mind, the more it looks like the outside world is creating that. So whether it's you want to get recognition because that's the only way you feel good about yourself or, you know, there's all kinds of thinking that everybody has different thinking about it. I might add there's not like one way of thinking, but it's looking for love, really. Mm-hmm. In all the wrong places, in doing things that will get rid of the negative and that's in your mind,
1: and the funny thing is when people get quiet, you know they they suddenly the world looks like a nicer, better place, kinder, gentler place. Mm-hmm. but you know, the world is the same. The, the world didn't change. they changed. yeah and that's that's what we have to realize is the only way to change your experience of life is to change from within to find peace of mind and just to, to recognize wisdom, the difference between wisdom and bad ideas that come from a low mood. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and everybody can change. Yes, everybody yes. has that potential, but they have to be willing to look and in the inside and get out of their head. And so with that, yep. well, I think we should call it a day. And we'll see you next week. Or see talk to you week. next
1: week. Yeah. Uh, take care.
0: We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com.